it going, eh? I'm Lee McCormick. Welcome to Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast, episode 144, High Hopes, album review, part two. Thanks for listening and downloading the show from the website TrampsLikeUsPod.com, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever else you found it. Stay in touch with us at our Facebook group page, Tramps Like Us, a Bruce Springsteen podcast. I hope you tuned in to the last episode, episode 143 where myself and David Hudson discussed the first six songs from Bruce's 18th studio album, High Hopes. David joins me again on this episode for part two, the second half of the album. So let's get into it and stick around after the outro. There's some cool bonus audio of Bruce and the band performing in South Africa for the first time ever. I find I'm usually trying to resolve something that's bothering me internally, you know, uh, uh, that's really the thrust. The thrust isn't a theme or uh, it's not conceptual. It's something is continuing to bother me <laughs> even after all these years. And I am going through my meditation that helps me move towards a slightly greater degree of resolution. have to be tolerant of that part of your makeup. Uh, And you also don't want to dismiss it or try to banish it or deny it because it's where all the fuel for what you're going to do is. It's it's quite non-intellectual and non-verbal. It's just feeling. usually comes from a feeling of discomfort. I'm usually in a discussion with that part of myself that makes that where I'm very uncomfortable with myself. But that's that's the real mechanism of writing. We all come up a little short and we go down hard. These days I spend my time skipping through the dark. Through the empires of dust, I change name. I was at uh, Brendan O'Brien's home studio. Brendan was fiddling about with some Bruce songs and was eavesdropping in the next room and said, what's that? It was a song, Hunter of Invisible Game, and he played it down for me. I thought, that's an amazing song, like one of my favorite Bruce Springsteen lyrics. Great, that's going to be on the next record. I can't wait to hear it. And then it didn't come, it just never came out. Uh, So years went by, and I was uh, in Bruce's home studio in New Jersey and casually dropped whatever happened to that song, Hunter of Invisible Game. There's a kingdom it's a, a mind-blowingly great song. I love the lyric. I love the music. It's like, what happened to that? And he just laughed and said, I got a million of them, man. I mean, Independence Day was nixed from a record. Sherry Darling was, was thrown off. They, those two were thrown off of Darkness on the Edge of Town. I, I could fret for several hours over just a few notes at the end of a song, you know. It wasn't really necessary, but or maybe it was necessary at the time, but looking back on it, it was part of the obsessive-compulsive thing that most most people in my line of work or something else similarly creative have as a part of their personality, you know. 
This, this group material and then Tom's entrance kind of was the glue that that turned it into, you know, something we'd release. You know, he came in and his idea was high hopes and he said, it sounded pretty good. I was listening to E Street Radio late one night uh, prior to leaving for Australia and text Bruce in the middle of the night saying, you know, what do you think of the song High Hopes for the upcoming tour? It felt to me like that horn section lent itself to a guitar riff. Fundamentally, we're repairmen. Everybody's broken. Everybody's broken somewhere. You can't get through life without it. You've paid your artists and your filmmakers and your poets and your novelists to be basically, they're your handymen or your repairmen. And we're willing to go into the garage where all this junk is lying around and we start to tinker away. And when you contextualize and make small sense of, of those things, very, they just start to repair those little pieces of you. I leave Patty in the studio, and, and she's she's very, she's actually a very good producer. Rather than than than, than stand around and coach, I'll, I'll leave her there for a few hours with Ron. And when I come back, there's always something interesting on tape. You know, something that I, if I'd have been there, I might have squelched. You know, I I, I get so I'm too nervous and impatient. In the heart and sky, sunshine. Things are, some things need to be sort of formally defined, which is why American Skin and, and goes to Tom Joder on this particular collection of songs. And these are two of the greatest versions of those things. And so I feel if it doesn't get formally presented in a, in, in, in a record, they lose a little of their authority. My understanding was when they were doing the studio version of, of American Skin, that they were having trouble sort of finding the right chemistry of instruments to make it happen in the studio with the same impact that it had live. You had to bring it home in the studio, which is hard to do 
after you play something live for a long time. Very, very hard to top any E Street Band live recordings of any of this mu of any of those songs. We struggled. That for me was probably the hardest one of all the songs that I worked on. Uh, I tend to be very uh, just sort of trust my instincts. The first thing you play is the best thing you play, and that and but with that one, I went back at it a lot. I played a solo that I just wasn't satisfied with. Played a second solo I wasn't satisfied with. Came back the next day, and the solo that you hear on there now is the one that came out then, and it felt like. I'm glad I wait. I'm glad I didn't, you know, send the send the earlier version. I played something that was pretty uh, unusual, unusual for the E Street Band. It's kind of like wah wah, sort of chugging industrial wah wah thing. Uh, and Bruce really liked that. Tom's thing was, he you know, took it all out to some other place. He's one of the few guitarists of the past, uh, you know, decade or 20 years, really. Uh, once again, he, he's, 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 he's kind of like Mills and Edge and, and uh, uh, Eddie Van Halen. Uh, 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 you know, these guys, with, they have a world at their fingertips that, that, they, uh, that they can tap into and just creates an entire moment in time. The, the, the record is a funny thing, you know, all our records end up being with, with somewhat their blueprints and and so I'll put something like, well, yeah, I don't know where that, that may go someplace interesting when we start to play it live. My first hope for going out on the road with the new material is that I remember to play the right notes at the right time. <laughs> One, two, three, four. They're in search of metaphor, high hopes, her invisible game. This, the, you know, and, and once you once you catch that metaphor, then you then you try to flesh it out. To me, that's that's the engine that drives all of your writing. Drives when you go out on stage at night. You know why? Why would a grown man of my age want to go out and drench himself and exhaust himself at this late date? All right, there's only one reason: because he has to. All right. <laughs> <laughs> First thing I have to do is I have to thank all the fans, everybody all around the world that came out and saw us. You know, that was, 
it was a very critical moment for the band and a new place the band got to and I think it being a first tour after Clarence passed away, not having Dan there, you know, it was really transformative for for the E Street band for me too. And uh, and then just the response from the or our, our audience was just I didn't quite know how to describe it. It was uh, uh, it was incredible. So that's the halfway point. So if you had the record set, this is when we move on to record two. So record two is going to kick off with a track written by Bruce Springsteen. Bruce is on vocals, guitar, percussion, organ, and mandolin. Ron in Yellow plays the bass and a little guitar on this. We got Roy Bitten on piano, uh, Sam Barfield on violin, Max Weinberg on the drums, and of course we got Steve Van Zant on the backing vocals. Recorded in uh, studios in Georgia in 2007-2008 some overdubs and stuff in 2012-2013. This is uh, Frankie Fell in Love. Good morning, good morning The church mass snoring News is out all over town Frankie Fell in Love Wake up, boys, wake Drunk and cry, boy, shake it up. How Juliet says Romeo's been found. Frankie Philly. How is this not a mega hit? Blows my mind. It sounds to me like it could have been on the Ties That Bind collection. Um, it has that kind of feel to it, lightheartedness, and it's perfectly written song. It sounds like something little Stephen would be all over. This would be like one of the ones, kind of like Restless Nights. He keeps pushing him, you know, to, to, to play live. I wish they would play this song a whole lot more. Um, it's just so infuriating. And it's it's kind of a, a cool, a sweet story. You got this person that everybody likes, and you know they just never have found the right person. And then when they do, everybody's happy for them, you know. And it just uh, it's a feel good song that comes after Heaven's Wall, you know. It's another sequencing problem here. But it's just a sweet, fun pop song that I think should be played more. And you know, Stephen pushes for this whenever he can. Yeah, I like it because it's a smaller band too. Like. Like, one of my wishes, which he's never done, shockingly, he's never done this, is record, like, just a record with a four-piece band, right? This is just, like, bass, drums, guitar, piano, and, and nothing else. Like, I wish he would do, like, just a rock record like that, you know? But this was um, from the Magic Sessions in 2007. Uh, lyrics, we got that small-time vibe where everybody knows everybody, and Frankie, I guess, is this girl that the boys are always talking about, like, the one they always wanted, and, 
and now she's kind of off the market, right? Things are changing. She found the secret that uh, that one plus one equals three, right? The intangible equation and the and the the uh, the resolution of that, <laughs> right? It all becomes possible. Uh, and you you better watch out because it may happen to you at some point, right? <laughs> Good vocals by Bruce, like Steve Van Zant, sounds fantastic harmonizing with him, right? I love the good groove by Max there. Uh, you know, we got Ron and Yellow on bass, no Gary Talent. I wish it was Gary just for the coolness factor, you know? But uh, yeah, good song, man. And those vocals with uh, with Steve Van Zant, very prominent. And it's like Mick and Keith singing together, right? I just love that vocal friction, the way their two, two voices bounce off each other. Good stuff. So is this the is this the the version that they put on here? Is that the version that Brendan O'Brien produced, or did they re-record it? It's both, right? So I guess okay. bed tracks were probably done during the ma- magic sessions with uh, Brendan O'Brien, and then you know I guess Ron and Yellow put some bass on it and some other some other fuckery. So like are you a, are, are you a fan of Brendan O'Brien's work in general? I think his stuff with Bruce uh, is hit and miss sometimes. It's better than Ron and Yellow. Some stuff I love by Brendan with Bruce, some stuff I don't, right? It still had its issues, and sometimes it got too shiny, too too much of a polish on it. But in general, I do like Brendan O'Brien. And you're a yeah, fan I, too, I, right, because of his... Yeah, I, I love his stuff with Pearl Jam. Yeah, he's a Pearl Jam um, I, guy, I, Black Crows too, he did, right, you said? Yeah, he, he engineered those first two Crows albums, but he's pretty much been Pearl Jam's exclusive producer for a while. I don't think he did this last album, but I'm... I'm general generally a, a big fan of his sound. Like on Magic, to me it it had it had the feel of almost being in a concert. Now I, I agree with you, it was polished, but but it had that feel like, hey, I'm kind of in the room with them, and it was largely recorded in studio live, wasn't it? I, I believe so. Yeah. I well, the reason I reason I ask you about him is in reading some of these commentaries, I see that there's kind of ongoing criticism of him at times with what he did with some of Bruce's albums. So you're a person that would know more than me about it. So I was just going to see what your thoughts on, on it were. Yeah. He may be stuck with Brendan too, maybe too long. Like what did Brendan do? Maybe three or four records with Springsteen. I don't know. It seems like Bruce gets into these vibes with these guys and he just works with them for three or four records the way he's working with Ron and yellow now. But in hindsight, after getting three or four records from Ron and Yellow, I wish you would go back to Brennan O'Brien. You know, it makes those records sound uh, better to my ears anyway. All right, moving on to the next track written by Springsteen. Springsteen's on vocals, guitar, synth, piano, banjo, mandolin. Ron and Yellow's on the bass, synth, and uh, guitars. Roy Bitton plays some piano and organ. Sam Barfield on the violin. We have Josh Fries on the drums on this track. Uh, we got this uh, Cillian Valley plays the, uh, how do you say that word? Yulian pipes and the high and low whistles. They're like bagpipes, I think, on this. Yulian uh, pipes. And we have uh, Patty, Susie, and Steve Van Zandt on backing vocals. This is your sword. And brothers and sisters, listen to me. These are the few things that I leave to a sword of our fathers with lessons hard told The shield's strong and sturdy from battles will fall Well, this is your sword, this is your shield This is the power of love revealed Carried with you wherever you go And give all the love that you have in your soul At times there, dark darkness covers 
From the Wrecking Ball era, 2012, possibly from some of that gospel stuff he was working on. I think Springsteen has like a gospel record that he was working on that was he's put on the shelf, right? Um, there's some religious imagery in this song talking about uh, Sacred Heart, beauty of God's work, and that kind of thing. It's got that Irish Celtic folk vibe. You hear the whistles and the Irish bagpipes there that I mentioned. The lyrics are kind of cool. It's like a father or a parent bestowing the sword and the shield to his children. Right, giving them the, the tools to move through life on their own. You know, stuff to conquer their own battles. Stuff to get through the darkness. I feel like you read my notes. <laughs> <laughs> that happens. I put on Three here, uh, take a leg, right? <laughs> immediately, uh, I think that it sounds like a leftover from the Wrecking Ball sessions. And like you said, it does have that Celtic vibe to it. And like you said, it's an advice to a young person to value your family, friends, and integrity. And this will be your sword and shield that you'll use to protect you from the evils and temptations of the world. And uh, future Foo Fighters drummer John Josh Freeze is playing on it, so uh, that's kind of cool. He can uh, hang his hat on the fact he performed with the Boss. Yeah, and he's on a couple of those tracks that didn't make this record. I think they recorded uh, like like twenty songs for this High Hopes project. Twelve came out on the album. Four were released on this EP called American Beauty that came out for Record Store Day uh, of that year, 2014. Uh, American Beauty, Mary Mary, Hurry Up Sundown and Hey Blue Eyes, and I think Josh is on a couple of those tracks for sure. Does American Beauty sound a lot like uh, Lucky Day to you? American Beauty. The intro? Yeah, maybe. I'll have to go back, but yeah. I remember being a little disappointed with that American Beauty record EP, being like, eh, not so much. Like, like those were outtakes from the outtakes album, right? <laughs> right. <laughs> All right, so let's go on to the next track written by Springsteen. This has got Bruce on vocals guitar. Tom Morello is back on guitar. Susie Tyrell on the violin. Gary Talon on the bass, Max Weinberg on the drums. So we got a small core band, and then we got uh, strings on top of that. So it was recorded at a bunch of studios, originally uh, 2007, 2008 era, and uh, then again in 2012 and 2013. This is uh, Hunter of Invisible Game. My scissors battle ditch built me an ark, a gopher and pitch. Sat down by the roadside and waited on the rain. I am a hunter of invisible game. Well, I woke last night to the heavy clicking and clack And a scarecrow on fire along the railroad tracks There were empty cities and burning plains I am the hunter of invisible
All right, so going back and listening to this album for this podcast, this is the song that's grown on me the most. Um, to me, when it starts off, it sounds like a precursor sonically to something that could be on Western Stars. Um, I, I really, yeah, and, and, and yeah, it just it sounds like that could be on Western Stars. Um, on the surface, I think the song's about a person that's living kind of like in this post-apocalyptic world, and he's on the hunt for an invisible game, which, in my opinion, is him trying to find a sense of return to normalcy and decency that's lost in the world. And even though he finds heartbreak at every turn, he still has hope. And at the end, he can give up all hope, but instead he hopes for the best. But I think more or less this is about Springsteen talking about himself at times and his own spiritual journey in the world and how he sees himself at times because one of the great things about his music is even when it's darkest there's always a glimmer of hope or a way out and um you know he's talked about his battles with depression and things like that and we know that he's you know had some personal strife and then professional strife you know with breaking up the e street band and then how the whole human touch and lucky town thing went down as far as like the way that his fans accepted him and so i think this is really about him and his kind of his the way he views himself at times but always gives himself that glimmer of hope to get out i don't know if you've seen the video for this but they did a pretty extensive like video for this with tom zimney directing which is about 10 minutes long they added a five minute intro of all kind of different uh, just instrumental tagged on to this the regular track and it shows Springsteen kind of in this this world that he's created in this song. It's kind of post-apocalyptic world. He's there alone. He's looks like he's searching for something. There's some shots of him like down in this creek, like with his shirt off. Man, this guy is in tremendous shape. Like he's like 60 mid 60s, and he's got his shirt off, and he's just ripped. Right, he looks incredible. Man, it's very impressive. Uh, if, if you check out that video, the song was originally I, I guess conceived during the working on a dream sessions in 2008. And he had that title hanging around for a while. One of those things where he just wrote it in a notebook and he kept coming back to it. And he eventually put lyrics together where he's in this kind of uh, post-apocalyptic world. Society's collapsed all around him. He, he, he moves forward to rebuild, to create a new world from ruins. He talks about, uh, there's that line about uh, empty cities and burning plains. He's looking for a kingdom of love to reclaim. The groove on it by Max is kind of cool. He's playing brushes on this. I like that. And I like the title, right? Hunter of Invisible Game. It makes you think for a bit. Like, what's he What's he hunting? Mm-hmm. What is this invisible game? It's like he's searching for something that doesn't exi- exist yet. Right? Like, he doesn't know what he's looking for yet, but he's he's searching for this thing. Right? I like that. And you get that recurring melody by the strings that you mentioned as well, which is uh, pretty nice. All right, there we go. Hunter of Invisible Game. Moving on, next track written by Springsteen. We got Bruce on vocals guitar. Tom Morello on vocals and guitar. Got some vocals from Tom on this one. Ron and Yellow on the bass and synth. Uh, Nils Lofgren on the pedal steel guitar and mandolin. Susie Tyrell on the violin. Roy Bitten on piano. Charles Giordano on accordion. Max Weinberg on the drums. This is the ghost of Tom Jode. Walking along the railroad tracks 
Gone someplace, there's no going back Highway patrol choppers coming up over each Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge Silver line stretching around the corner Welcome to New World Order And we're sleeping in the cars in the southwest No home, no job, no peace, no rest Well, the highway's alive tonight But nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes I'm sitting down here in the campfire line Searching for the ghost of Tom Jones Obviously, The Ghost of Tom Jones is a great Springsteen song. I think this is one of his best songs, originally off the record in uh, 96 that came out, right? Ghost of Tom Jones. And I think he had a, a rock arrangement that he'd worked up for the Greatest Hits album in 95, but he didn't like that, and he went to the uh, the more sparse acoustic folk version that he put on the, uh, the Ghost of Tom Jones album. And I guess the Tom Morello connection is that Rage Against the Machine covered this in 97. I don't know if you've heard that. I don't really mm-hmm. like it, but uh, I guess you got to be a, a fan of that kind of music to like it. But it just—it doesn't sound anything like the Springsteen version. It sounds like Rage Against the Machine trying to do Led Zeppelin kind of stuff or whatever. But uh, this version they re-recorded uh, for this album, I guess off the live version that Tom Morello did with Springsteen and the E Street Band at that 25th anniversary Rock and Roll Hall of Fame concert in uh, October of 2009. So Tom guested with the band, and they did a killer version of this, kind of blending the Tom Morello solo version. He did a solo version as well as the Rage Against the Machine cover. And uh, with him and Bruce trading off vocals and then doing a little bit of a guitar duel, which they feature in this in this, uh, this re-record version here. Now, the lyrics I won't get too much into. If you want to get a full analysis of this song, go back to our Ghost of Tom Joad album where we went into the, uh, the song really in depth. But obviously it's based on that uh, Steinbeck, Grapes of Wrath, book and that's basically the division of society between the haves and the have-nots right the struggle of underprivileged people in a privileged society struggling to break free uh you know i'm not a fan of morello's vocals but i know i guess it's cool bruce gave him a vocal of a, a verse or so here because he did have those cover versions and they trade lead guitars in the in the middle section the solo section in the middle is great because you have springsteen i think springsteen is in the left channel and you have morello in the right i believe and they're kind of guitar, guitar dueling back and forth. Now, I love that. That's really cool. Because it's cool you can hear the different styles of, of Tom and Bruce. But then Tom solos alone on the outro. And, uh, you know, the Waka Waka stuff ain't bad here. You know, I think his guitar is actually pretty nice on this outro. And it's pretty heavy. Yeah, not a, not a fan of his vocals. I like the guitar. I like the pedal steel by Nils on there. Kind of harkens back to that original Ghost of Tom Joad version from 96. But, uh, what are your thoughts there, Dave? Grand Slam, all the way around. I think this electric version is one of the most powerful and moving things Springsteen has ever done. Whereas I love the acoustic version, but the the singing and the playing is a lot more subtle. To me, you I really feel the anger and the hatred and the despair better with the vocals on this. Now, I have on here, Tom Morello will never be accused of being Paul Rogers with his voice. 
But the thing that overcomes that for me is you can tell he believes in these lyrics. He is singing it with conviction. Like when you see them play it live or when they play Clamp Down and, and Morello gets a verse. Technically lacking, yes. But, you know, rock and roll is a lot about emotion and, and he puts the emotion into it. I think what they did with his playing on this is absolutely brilliant. It takes it to a whole other level. It basically turns it into almost to a jam song. I mean, the electric version is pretty long. Um, and you have the, the, the guitar solo that's doubled by him. And you just have this sonically, this sledgehammer thrown at you. And then you have the vocals, which I think just is one of his best written songs, period. And I think it's some of his best lyrics and some of his most brilliant stuff he's done. But when you add that with Morello's playing and the big band feel to it, and even Bruce sounds angry when he's singing this, uh, I think all that just falls up into one of the best things he's put on record. Yeah, I can agree with that. I don't mind it. I don't mind the studio version. I'll do although I do prefer the live version with Morello, and of course the live version that he's done with the E Street Band with Nils uh, doing mm-hmm. some of that screaming guitar work. Yeah, one of his greatest songs, one of his best tunes. All right, next one up is written by Bruce Springsteen. We've got Bruce on vocals, guitar, and drums on here by uh, by Bruce. Uh, we got Ron and Yellow on uh, some synth and some accordion. Nils Lofgren on guitar, Roy Bitten on the piano, Danny Federici is back for some organ. We got Kurt Ram plays a cornet, it's like a little trumpet kind of thing. Gary Talon on the bass, Max Weinberg plays some percussion, and uh, Patty Scalfa on background vocals, The Wall. Cigarettes and a bottle of beer It's that I wrote for you It's Blackstone and these hot tears Are all I got left now of you I remember you in the marine uniform Laughing, laughing at you, Chappelle Pony I read Robert McNamara Sorry, your high boots and striped t-shirt. I believe you looked so bad. Yeah, you and your rock and roll band. You were the best thing this shit town ever had. Now the men will put you here eat with their families in rich dining halls. An apology and forgiveness Got no place here at all Hit the wall Another just exercise in songwriting by the master here. It's such a subtle sounding song. It's about his visit to the Vietnam Memorial in D.C. And it's loosely inspired by a musician on the Jersey scene that he looked up to that was killed in Vietnam. And I think in one of the things he said, this guy was the first rock star I knew or, or, or something like that. Yeah, Walter, um, Walter Chicon, uh, I think that's how you pronounce the name, Chicon, lead singer yeah. of a band, The Motifs. But the song to me is part nostalgia about the innocence before this guy went off to war. And then it's just biting criticism of the war machine, like he mentioned Robert McNamara's name in it. Um, one of the most moving lines 
I think he's ever written is just apology and forgiveness have no place here at all. I mean, that just tells you, you know, these people are dead and you're the ones that put them here. Why, why are you apologizing now? They're dead. They can't come back. There's no turning back time. And, you know, no amount of apologies that you have um, is, is going to bring them back. Now, the horn, <clears throat> I was trying to figure out what instrument was. And on Wikipedia, it's called the cornet, right? Isn't that what you call yeah, it? Yeah, I believe it's like a, 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 it looks like a trumpet, but it's very small, smaller. Right. Kind of almost like something you would hear playing taps or something like that. You yeah, know, it's like um, the, the last post kind of thing on, on the outro vibe. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so I, 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 for whatever reason, that just gives me even more of an emotional connection to the song. Brilliant songwriting, great storytelling. I don't have anything negative to say about it. It's a very moving tune. Yeah, I love this one a lot. Originally recorded back in the late 90s there when he was working on some stuff for the tracks box set. Originally inspired to write the song by his buddy Joe Grishecki, who had sent him a newspaper article about the wall. Right, and then later he's visiting Washington, like he said, he sees this guy's name on that memorial, and also uh, a dude Bart Haynes, who was the original uh, drummer in the Castiles. His first band was he was killed in Vietnam as well. So this song is kind of a tribute to both of them. I think this would have fit nicely on the Letter to You record, which just came out, which deals a lot with those friends of the past, mm-hmm. his early bands, and dealing with mortality and, and people that have died and things like that, right? I love the Danny Federici on the organ playing in there. is is great. Emotional performance from Bruce on this. The vocal and the band, the way the band's playing around him. And I dig that third verse where he's, he's talking to his friend through the wall. Let me, uh, let me recite this third verse here. He says, um, I'm sorry I missed you last year. I couldn't find no one to drive me. If your eyes could cut through that black stone, tell me they would recognize me. For the living time I must be served, the day goes on. Cigarettes and a bottle of beer, skin on black stone. So you can almost picture Bruce there at the wall, which is kind of black granite, right? Putting his hand on on his friend's name there, Mm -hmm. kind of communicating that way with him. So yeah, heavy stuff. I love it. All right, let's go on to the last song on the record. This is a cover. Written by Martin, Rev, and Alan Vega, the two cats in Suicide. We got Bruce on vocals, guitar, synth, piano, mandolin, harmonium. We got Ron in yellow adding some percussion, some loops, some bass, uh, more synth, uh, some guitar on there. Tom Morello shows up for some more guitar. Roy Bitten on piano. Uh, we have some brass on there, and we have some strings. Dream, baby, dream. Dream, baby, dream Dream, baby, dream Dream, baby, dream Come on and dream, baby, dream Come on and dream, baby, dream Gotta keep the light burning Come on, we gotta keep the light burning Come on, we gotta keep the light burning Come on, we gotta keep the light burning Come on and dream, baby, dream Gotta keep the fire burning Come on, gotta keep the fire 
this song i'm a big suicide fan and uh you know they're a great band that came out of that punk era late 70s of cbgb's that new york scene there but these guys were playing like electronic music dealing with a lot of repetition very few lyrics very few musical changes but just building and crescendoing the music up and down climax dynamics and things like that right we've talked a lot about suicide and the influence they had on nebraska right so here's bruce doing a song they did called Dream Baby Dream. Bruce originally did this during his Devils and Dust tour in 2005, and he would finish every show. Last song of Zoncore was this song where he would play by himself on the harmonium. It's like a piano, but you pump the wind to make the sound flow, right? If you look at a, it's like an Indian instrument, and the smaller handheld ones has like an accordion thing that you would like waffle in and out to kind of bring the... the uh, the air, let, let the air move through the, the, the reeds in, in the, uh, the piano, right? But I think the live version is superior. I think there's just too much stuff on this, too much production. If you compare it with those live versions, you know, there's just an emotion and a power to that singular guy singing like this, which is uh, kind of a bit lost on this. Bruce released it on a 10-inch single for Alan Vega's 70th birthday, which featured a live version of him doing Dream Baby Dream, and then like the original Suicide version on the other side. I think that's a 10-inch single, so that's kind of cool. But I love just the repetition of uh, I just want to see you smile, that stuff repeating that line over and over like a mantra. Right? Very few musical changes, like I said, just focusing on building building that to that climax, right? layering instruments and voices to a crescendo. You know, the minimal music and lyrics. It's kind of hypnotic, right? And a cool thing is that I read that uh, Alan Vega requested that this version from the High Hopes be played at his funeral, which is kind of kind of sweet. It's pretty cool. So I intentionally haven't gone and listened to the original version of this. Just like the suicide version? Yeah, because I, I didn't want it to like cloud my opinion of it. I first heard of them, it may have been on one of your Nebraska podcasts, how they influenced specifically State Trooper and the, the scream yeah. at the end. And I forget what song was played, but it... Uh, Frankie Teardrop is the song you were referring to, the influence on State Trooper there. Okay. That pretty dark suicide song. <laughs> pretty dark. Pretty dark, yeah. <laughs> the lyrics, if I remember correctly, were a little disturbing um, in, the, in the song that I heard, but I, I do like it that it starts off with this, I thought it was an organ, and what would you say it was? It's a harmonium. Yeah, a harmonium. Yeah. And it's interesting, as the song goes on, more instruments slowly come in. And the song to me sounds kind of dire at the beginning. And then you have this guy's eternal optimist and he's begging for forgiveness and he just wants the life that he wants with her. And then, But then these drum loops come in it slowly gets louder in the background and you add an acoustic guitar. Um, and as the song goes on, he gets louder, more optimistic sounding. And then the backing vocals come in. So it's just like they're just layering everything on and on and on. And then the song builds, you know, just ends kind of in this solemn note. I'm like you. I prefer the version from that 05 tour uh, over this. It's one of these things like it just doesn't fit with the album when we keep saying that. Um, but 
it's not bad. It just is not as good as those live versions. And to me, that speaks to an artist when people go, maybe you shouldn't have put this on record. You should have just kept the live version because as great as he is in the studio and this band is in the studio, I mean, possibly top two or three band, especially backing band of all time, they still can't replicate what they do live in the studio. And, um, so obviously this is just him playing on it, but I, I think he should have just kept that, maybe thrown it in as a bonus track, a live version, you know, as paying um, tribute to the band Suicide. But um, I think they got in here and got a little drunk with some of the production and the stuff they were adding on to it. I agree with that. You know, the thought- it's, interesting. it's interesting, though. You got this guy that recorded in Nebraska, which as as minimalist of an album as you're ever going to find, unless you find just an album of people singing a cappella. Um, but then he gets in these situations where I think sometimes he overthinks it and overthinks the production. And all of his songs, in essence, stripped down are probably great. Mm-hmm. But then he he gets in the studio sometimes, and like like we were saying earlier with, um, oh, what was the song? Um, like American Skin. It, it loses some of it. And th- it kind of be like, I feel like if we ever heard a studio version of Seeds, it's not going to hold up to all these live versions we've heard, you know? But you can't, anyway. You, back, yeah, it's hard to re-record something that's been released, right? Like if, yeah. it, if it was a live song that's never been out on an album and now he's going to record it, I can deal with that. But if he's put the live version out and people have had a decade to listen to it, you can never, you can never redo it. Like it, lots of bands try to re-record their stuff. Never works. Never works. Even if they better it, the, your, the, the original is what it is, right? When you've already planted, the, you've already planted that seed in their mind yeah. is what it's supposed to sound like. So there we go. There's the album. There's the twelve songs for High Hopes. Let's pick our uh, favorite and our least favorite. Now uh, I'll go first on that. My favorite between two songs, "Down in the Hole" and "The Wall," are, are the two songs that really stood out to me after doing this kind of analysis on the record. I'm gonna flip a coin and say. The Wall today is the one I'm going to pick as my favorite off this record. What about you, favorite on the album? All right, so I'm going to cheat. <clears throat> favorite time, favorite song appearing for the first time on a Springsteen album, Frankie Fell in Love. Favorite song not appearing for the first time goes to Tom Joad. All right. For least favorite, there's a few. There's a, f- a few more contenders for least favorite here. But I'm going to Throw go a with, dart. Yeah, yeah, I'm going to go with the title track, uh, High Hopes with Tom Morello. Just the way it starts with that wacky Tom Morello guitar, like, ugh. <laughs> so, uh, and the fact that an original version is available, which is far superior, uh, I got to take the title track as my least favorite on the album. I'm going to have to go with Heaven's Wall. All right. Heaven's the song just didn't, did nothing for me. Didn't raise your hand to Heaven's Wall, eh? I didn't. I didn't <laughs> raise my hand. Raise my hand, raise my hand. Yeah. All right, well, there we go. Closing thoughts on the album. Uh, what can I say? Uh, you know, it's a little disjointed. You know, it was put together in many studios while Bruce was on tour using stuff that was re- previously recorded from with different producers, and he's using different musicians on things. The songs are great, but the production and the musician choices and the arrangement stuff I have a hard time with. I'm dealing with that with this new Rolling Stones album that just came out. I love the Rolling Stones. They're like one of my favorite bands. But there's some production choices on that album and some musician choices, which I don't understand. And the songs are great, and I, I just hear in my head how they could be so much better. And they've, they've elected to 
have special guests and stuff like that. It's just really disappointing. And I get a little bit of that on this Springsteen album, even though the songs are really great. The production and the uh, inclusion of Tom Morello ruins it for me. I hope he's gotten a lot of the bad songs out of the way for, for when Tracks 2 comes out, because th- this this could make you a little nervous about Tracks 2, but uh, like you said, he does from the rising on, there's not a lot of stuff left on the floor, it seems like. Um, this potentially could have been a really good album, but I'm like you. The production is overthought in a lot of places. There's just no even... You can't even come close to having a theme for for this record. And um, odd that he would put out an album with this many covers on it. And uh, yeah, three co- you got, three covers, right? Including the title track as a cover, or th- yeah. yeah, three covers, yeah, three. But then, man, he comes he comes roaring back with his next studio album. So maybe he just needed some time to clear his head and empty the vaults a little bit, so to speak. All right, David. Well, thank you so much. It was great to get your opinion. I really value and respect your uh, your thoughts on this stuff as a new fan and as a uh, a fan of rock and roll. Got anything to plug? I know you, you have that great uh, Black Crows podcast, State of America. Yeah. I was disappointed, man. I was about to see the Black Crows, the early September opening for Aerosmith, but they got postponed till, uh I think they're still up in the air when the dates are going to be, but I was looking forward to seeing those guys again. I kind of think that may not happen. <clears throat> um, I, Aerosmith is snake bit, man. They are just... They're 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 as snake bit as any band I've ever seen in the last ten or fifteen years. Well, dude, the, the tickets I bought I think were the fifth show of the tour, so I'm like, oh, yeah, they can definitely get through five shows, but they think they got to three or four and they had to pull the plug, man. Well, yeah, I have State of America. It's a Black Crows podcast. If you like the Black Crows, give us a uh, give us a listen. We've got some fun stuff going on there. We got a Patreon that's uh, been a lot of fun to do. Um, we have some non-crow stuff on there. We're about to have Charlie Starr from Blackberry Smoke on for the second time. And uh, if you like the crows, give us a listen. I think you'll like it. Check out more from David on that State of America podcast. I highly recommend it. And thank you again, David, for joining us. That was a great episode. Thanks, man. Always fun. Been walking along the railroad tracks. Long someplace there's no going back. Highway patrol choppers coming up over the ridge Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge Shelter line stretching around the corner Welcome to the new world order Families sleeping in their cars in the southwest No home, no job, no peace, no rest well, the highway is alive tonight But nobody's kidding nobody about where it goes I'm sitting down here in the campfire light Searching for the ghost of Tom Jones Some prayer book out of his sleeping bag Preacher lights up a butt and takes a track Wait for the last shall be first and the first shall be last In a cardboard box beneath the underpants You got a one-way ticket to the promised land You got a hole in your belly and a gun in your hand
Sitting on a pillow of solid rock Bathing in the city's aqueduct Nobody's getting nobody of my way 
Well, that'll do it for our album review of High Hopes. Thanks to David for joining me, and thanks to you for listening. We'll talk with you next time. So, that's the show, folks. Thanks for listening. You can find us on our website at TrampsLikeUsPod.com. Communicate with us on Facebook at our Tramps Like Us podcast group page. Tramps Like Us podcast is a nonprofit audio fanzine created by fans for fans and is available for free. We are not affiliated with Bruce Springsteen or Columbia Sony Records. If you've heard any music you like, please find it and purchase it from BruceSpringsteen.net, Amazon, your local record store, or wherever music is sold. As always, gratitude and respect to Bruce Springsteen and all past and current members of the heart-stopping, pants-dropping, hard-rocking, booty-shaking, earthquaking, love-making, Viagra-taking, history-making, testifying, death-defying, legendary E Street Band. As a bonus for this episode... I want to play some audio from this doc that came out while Bruce and the band were on the High Hopes tour January 2014. They did four shows in South Africa, their first time there, just a few months after Nelson Mandela passed away and a few months prior to the upcoming elections. Monday morning runs, Sunday night screaming, slow me down before the new year dies. Well, it won't take much to kill a loving smile, and every mother with a baby crying in her arms saying, Give me help, give me strength, give the soul a night I fell asleep, give me love. Give me peace Don't you know these days you pay for I grew up in, in, in the township in, uh, in, in the Eastern Cape, 16, 17, I fell in love with Bruce and uh, I haven't stopped since. I always hoped that one day, and I always say maybe I will have to save to go to the States. Um, you know, in most of his videos, they always, some of them, they show people standing on the lines on the queues and going on stage and filled up and I always picture myself being part of that. But in then Cape Times, they had, I have, I have the paper at home. It's in my drawer. The first time they, <laughs> they said it's coming, I cut the paper, I have it. And the Cape Times front page, the boss coming into town, I have the paper. <laughs> so I had to keep the paper just to make sure that they were not lying. <laughs> I'm Craig Green. I live in Johannesburg, South Africa. I've spent the last three years tweeting, emailing, writing letters and phoning people to get Bruce Springsteen to South Africa. We've just left Johannesburg three hours ago. We're on our way to Cape Town to see Bruce Springsteen. His first time in South Africa after years of begging and dreaming 
but he'd be here. And uh, you know, three, see three shows in Cape Town, and then we're driving back to see one show in Johannesburg again. And that'll be a 3,600 kilometer or 2,000 mile return trip. And it's worth every minute of it. Every single minute. in South Africa to some people but he still lives within me I, I stand still when I hear Nelson Mandela's speeches like he's right there and that's what I feel with Bruce for many years 40 years maybe more South Africa was subject to apartheid and in South Africa you never knew really what was going on unless you tried hard enough to find out or maybe that was a lot of people's mistakes that we didn't try this is your hometown this is your hometown this is your hometown this is your hometown while springsteen wasn't huge in south africa then his ideas were fundamentally different to what I'd heard. The songs there and the words that he expressed and the way that he talked about politics and people living in a society that had let them down, that uh, delivered far less than it promised and so on, just made me think completely differently about South Africa, the way people were treated, the way they were thinking, the way they were living. Um, and Springsteen talks about the gap between the American dream and American reality. And that's what we had in South Africa. And we still have in South Africa. We've got a South African dream and a South African reality, and the two are miles apart. I'm now used to the music. I would say, yes, I like it, yeah. <laughs> Even though I'm a house music fan. <laughs> Uh, 
Born in the USA, had just come out, and um, and I, I heard we stay in the, in town, but we had to go to the rural areas to visit. No electricity in those days, just a little FM radio, the batteries, the one you put on the sun to, to recharge, <laughs> and. Um, and in, you, you, you had to listen to your radio, otherwise you'll go crazy because there were no TVs as well. And that's where I uh, hear the song, Born in the USA. And because I never caught who sang the song, but I had to find out. And then it came on TV one day, and there he was, blue jeans, rolled up sleeve, T-shirt, and the cap on the back. Oh, I, I, of course. The package looked good at the back as well. So. school. Um, I've literally followed my mom around in the rural areas in all the like you climb mountain to get to a school, you go to a river to collect water and no, no, no books, proper books, but just from listening to him and from reading. And that, that was Bruce for me. Not just to, to, uh, to entertain, it was also, it, it was singing for the country because I, I, I love to read news. And to, the, to what America uh, 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 experienced, we also experienced it here in South Africa. So it related quite a lot, and, but at the same time, it had a, a, a flavor of love in between in there. Not just fighting for the people, but he also he was falling in love <laughs> with any lady, and I was falling in love with him. <laughs> and uh, I don't know, I, I was just mesmerized by him. Um, but to what he's also stood for, and um, 
everything, politics, peace, but also with love. And that's also what I believe in. have been best friends now for almost 50 years. It's mm -hmm. incredible. Cue the violin on that one. Uh, <laughs> and um, so that is, I think, a big part of what's going on on stage. We, are, mm -hmm. we represent that basic friendship that all bands represent. Um, sometimes strictly metaphorical and sometimes <laughs> literally but you know um but we're the real thing you know you can have guitar players come and go uh, but 50 year old you know friends uh, not, not so easy to come by necessarily so you know you know you want to try and and and, and represent that i think to the to the people because it represents his work and mm -hmm. it represents a lot of what he's talking about in terms of community. You know, that begins with basic friendship and basic common commonality, you know, and, and that, that comes through, I think, through our relationship in a very real way. You know, that's not something you can fake. fellas you know they've been playing in the Easter band for 40 years I've been playing in the Easter band for about 48 hours so I'm at a bit of a disadvantage but uh, the good news is like I I'm familiar with I've heard and enjoyed pretty much all 250 of those songs so I know when the bridge comes I know when the chorus comes you know unless Bruce changes it on a given on a given night it's not all of the subtleties of the chord changes that that's what takes the work and so there's a lot of watching YouTube and a lot of going you know <laughs>
sudden, the apartheid era was a big part of my political awakening. Um, when I was 16 years old, uh, I wrote a letter to Oliver Tambo, the acting head of the ANC, and I volunteered for Spear of the Nation, the military wing of the ANC. Uh, at the time, they were th talking about instituting a draft in the United States to go fight the Sandinistas in Nicaragua. And I thought, well, if I'm going to fight anybody, I'm going to rather go to South Africa <laughs> and join uh, uh, the ANC. When I was uh, attending Harvard University, uh, I wrote my senior thesis on student movements in South Africa and was part of the divestment movement there, which was a big deal on universities in the United States at the time, uh, where we built a shanty town in the middle of Harvard Yard and you know, threatened to shut down the university if it didn't stop doing business with corporations that were profiting from apartheid. So it was a big part of my, my political awareness. And I'll tell you, a, a soundtrack of that of the divestment movement was Little Steven's song, oh, was the Sun City record. <laughs> Not just a revolutionary song politically, but a revolutionary song culturally and bringing together such a diverse body of, I mean, it made the We Are the World and Do They Know It's Christmas records, which were fine events. But, you know, those didn't include Run DMC and Joey Ramone you know, uh, and Miles Davis. I started off just wanting to get five or six people, different genres, one, one artist meet genre. And, and they would come in and, 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 and we would have... Um, We'd have them do the whole song, you know, or express themselves any way they wanted to, uh, and then, and then uh, I would figure it out later, you know, and that's how we, it became a real album in the end because Miles Davis came in, and I, I, I needed him for 15 seconds in the intro, and he played for four minutes. And I'm like, well, I'm not going to leave that on the floor now, am I? You see, I think it was brilliant uh, the way that this whole thing unfolded, because um, you know they're very few. Um, groups in society that can make a moral argument with the strength that artists can do that. They seem to have the ability to put their finger precisely on the point where it hurts most. And Sun City was more or less apartheid's dirty little secret. It was, the, um, it was in a homeland that was officially not part of South Africa, but South Africa was the only country in the world that recognized its independence uh, it was a stooge government. It was completely discredited. But on that ground, they then built this gambling uh, casino. I had to convince all of the apartheid uh, movements and, and, and divisions that to accept my uh, strategy. Um, and that was the trickiest part, uh, meeting with the people who were on the same side, uh, the anti-apartheid people, ANC, PAC, uh, Zanian People's Organization, uh, et cetera, et cetera, who were at odds with each other, you know? And that's how the bad guys usually win, right? The good guys are all fighting with each other. This is generally true throughout history. You know, I said, listen, all due respect, this armed struggle is not going to work, okay? Um, this is exactly what they want. They want you to pick up guns. This is what they're good at. We, on the other hand, are going to win this war and, 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 and fight the revolution uh, on television. <laughs> now, convincing someone who has no electricity <laughs> that you're going to win their war on a box that you plug into the wall <laughs> took some doing. <laughs> uh, and in the end, you know, they were having a debate about it and debating, you know, whether they even let me leave alive. Uh, I was 
different in those days. You know, I didn't care about anything. Um, and they had a hit list. They had a hit list of people that were, they were going to kill. Uh, one of which was Paul Simon, which a whole other interview we'll do sometime. <laughs> but I even talked him into taking him off the list. Uh, somewhat regretfully. Uh, <laughs> I was like, this is not going to help. It's not really going to help the cause <laughs> to whack Paul Simon as much as I, you know. As much as I share your enthusiasm for the idea. <laughs> it hurt apartheid at two levels. At the one level, obviously, the international resolve that grew around it, uh, along with political isolation and economic isolation, this moral isolation of apartheid. But at the second level, it just, just said, look at this dirty little secret here. I got everybody's endorsement. Uh, that basically we would uh, expose the, the, the way we would talk about this thing in, in the public and in, in the media was to expose the homeland policy, uh, which was a little bit complicated, you know, um, and, and, and I was very um, happy that I was able to really kind of tell the story in, in, the, in the Sun City song, pretty, pretty, Pretty literally, really, you know. Sun City is not in an independent country, and it's a very bad thing for artists to go down there. And I show solidarity with the Black South African Freedom Movement. contribution so poignant was the fact that it was a moral argument and the fact that they could put their finger precisely where it hurt to say this can no longer be in any way morally defensible. We shut them down completely and I even fought to get the artists who had played off of that boycott list, off of the United Nations uh, boycott list, uh, blacklist, whatever. Um, my position was, let's keep our eye on the ball, let's not have artist against artist. You know, of course, Paul Simon would be the exception to the rule, uh, who's constantly wanting as much attention as he can get, to be as controversial as he could be, so he could sell more records. You know? And even him, I, I got taken off the list, you know, in spite of my, <laughs> my own feelings. You know, and I, I actually like him, you know, and I, of course, respect him as one of the great artists of all time. But to this day, he still won't admit he was wrong. You know, I mean, really. <laughs> you know, what are we going to do <laughs> to prove, Paulie, that we, we were right, you were wrong? No, you know. He's like, art transcends politics. I'm like, no, it doesn't. Okay, art is politics. You know? And uh, here's a great example of it right here. You know? uh, lost a great friend. The great hero last night, Pete Seeger. 
and I got to know Pete a little bit. And uh, he was uh, 90 years old. I got to sing with him. That's good news for me. <laughs> I used to tell him. <laughs> he said, yeah, man, you got plenty of time. <laughs> and uh, like I said last night, we're humbled to be here in the land of Mandela. Great freedom fighter. We are here tonight in his grace because he made it possible for us to be here. And Pete, back home, was a very courageous freedom fighter also. This is a song that he adopted and he helped popularize. A song called We Shall Overcome. And uh, he taught this song at rallies and protests. It's been a civil rights song for 50 years now, heard not just in the United States, North Korea, Beirut, Tiananmen Square and in South Africa's Suiho Township. So, American congressman and civil rights activist John Lewis, he said this was a song that gave you a sense of faith, a sense of strength to continue to struggle, to continue to push on, and you lose your sense of fear. That's pretty amazing for a piece of music, but sometimes, uh, John Lewis said, once you heard this song, you took it to heart, you were prepared to march into hell's fire. So we're going to sing this for Pete and for Mandela. Who understood these lyrics oh so fucking well. Wishing for a prosperous South Africa for all of its citizens. What I attempt to do in my playing and in my own concerts and that I also see manifest on the stage with the E Street Band is on one night in one place you try to create a little bit of the world you'd like to live in and the world you'd like to see and you bring those values to that moment and that place and you say this is who we are, this is what we believe in, this is how we rock. And, uh, and hopefully that becomes a catalyst. You know, it, you light a lot of fires in that way. I know that in Rage Against the Machine, in my own solo night watching work, and certainly with Bruce Springsteen, that you, that you light a lot of candles, you know, every time you get on that stage and perform and touch people, and there's no telling who they might become and what they might do. We shall overcome. We shall overcome. We shall
very different country than it was during the apartheid state. And everyone can sort of raise their hand and go, thank goodness, apartheid is gone. But a lot, I think that the, the economic, the grotesque economic inequality that underpins both countries is a core problem that cannot be done away with just by addressing the issue of race, whether it's a black man in the White House, whether it's a, a black president in, you know, in Pretoria, that those things don't go away and that the, the tectonic plates on which the lives of millions shift have to do with the grotesque economic inequality and the system that is based on that. Men walking along the railroad tracks Gone someplace with no going back Highway patrol choppers coming up over reach Hot soup on a campfire under the bridge Silver line stretching around the corner Welcome to New World Order And we're sleeping in the cars in the Southwest no home, no job, no peace, no worries. And there's been a lot of despondency, I have to say, a lot of uh, disappointment in South Africa about the level of development that we've been able to achieve, the inequality, which is a global scourge, but which is uh, we now very much part of that uh, vast inequality between the haves and the have-nots. And so it's easy to lose momentum. It's easy to lose, uh, lose your trust in the process. I think in a, somebody like a Bruce Springsteen just coming to remind us, look how far you've come. Look what you have achieved. Uh, and if you've done all this, then it's quite possible that you could take the next step and complete the second chapter of reconciliation. You know, I mean, I, I still saw the shantytown coming from the airport. And, you know, you think, okay, it's been 20 years. You know, you'd hope that something like that would be you know, fixed, but um, it's, it's going to take a hundred years, you know, who knows how long to fix what's been 300 years in the making or whatever, you know, I don't know where you want to start counting, but, but um, so, so it's going to take a while before it's fixed, but, but it's, uh, it's a wonderful, wonderful uh, opportunity for us to come back here and, and see the, see a free South Africa, you know, which is not something necessarily you thought you'd see in your lifetime, you know. I never thought I'd see Mandela walk out of jail. I never thought I'd see a black president of the United States, you know, for that matter. So, you know, it gives you a little bit of hope.
you know, growing up in the 80s when, um, as a black person in a black school, remember in our days, we were class at colored, you know, as you know, in South Africa, there's, we've got special groups, yeah, <laughs> we've got black people, we've got colored people, Indian and so forth. Um, it was unheard of. I mean, I had friends in school, most of my friends in school didn't even have white friends. They never spoke to white people at the same level because a white person was my dad's boss. And here I was listening to white music. It was a different type of music. Um, yes, it was regarded as white music at the time. Ironically, he uses so many black people now in his band. In fact, he had black guys playing in the early 70s when he, when he started off. In the States, you know, back in the good old horrible days, they would call a white person liking black um, music, listening to, you know, your nigger-loving music, you know. Um, I think they call it Elvis that. And, and I think I was more like, you know, a white man loving music, which considering the climate in South Africa at the time, with, the, with what was happening with the, with the government, I don't think I was overly popular. Yeah, we bursted out of class Had to get away from those fools We learned more from a three-minute record, baby Than we ever learned in school Tonight I hear the neighborhood The rummer sound I can feel My heart begin to pound You say you tired And you just want to close your eyes Follow your dreams down well, we made a promise, we swore we'd always remember, no tree, baby, no surrender. Our soldiers on a winter's night with a vow to define, no tree, baby, no surrender. It's a dream come true. It's like him saying, I'm here. He's my hero. He's my musical hero. He turned me into a lover of rock and roll. I mean, just this whole idea of him commanding. He's not playing. You don't go to and listen to a Springsteen concert. That's not what you go and do there. You go and take part in the concert. And, um, and he's here. I've got to go to the stadium today because... <laughs> I want to get my, my armband, I want to get my number, you know, my friend down in Cape Town, Craig, he got his number the night before, and I was very jealous when my friend got number 33. That means you are number 33 to walk into the stadium. Yeah, no, yeah, wait, 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 wait. Craig's number seven, isn't it? There's Craig, there's Craig, yeah. Oh, you're all relatives, are you? No, well, we're relatives, but okay. Craig, well, we're other Springsteen fans, so. Okay, so... Number 12. Well, you first put the number on, then I'll put my name down there. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so nice. That's beautiful, number 12. Sure, huh? What I like about Springsteen is that he, in his songs, it's... it's Emotions, yeah. Yeah, emotion, and it's about family, and it's about people, and it's about hardship, and it's about the good life, and it's and everything. You can feel it, you know? And you know, I, 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 and you can see the man on the building, uh, you know, building, and the person in the street 
chopping away and what is hacking away? What do you call it when they yeah. do the trenching, do the trenches? You can see that when you listen to him. And, you know, that's it's, it's working just... Working on a high, we're laying down the back top, working on a high. Okay, <laughs> 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 you got to roll, roll your sleeves up? Oh, mine is up already. <laughs> and you got... You see... The, oh, yeah. Okay, that, yeah, that's a boogaloo. Yeah. <laughs> Dream, baby, dream Dream, baby, dream Dream, baby, dream Come on and dream, baby, dream Come on and dream, baby, dream what it means to to see him here. You know, he wouldn't play here, and he wouldn't play here quite rightly because of apartheid. And now to play and see him with his band and just to hear all the songs, to, to see him right up close is, is the most wonderful feeling in the world, almost a religious experience. And he touched my daughter's hand. She was so excited she burst into tears because Springsteen touched her hand. And this is the family, my brothers, my children, uh, all loved Bruce Springsteen. So when the children were small, he played Bruce Springsteen, but they could never see Bruce, Bruce Springsteen. And I remember sitting at home watching DVDs because I'd never been to a concert, and I couldn't get to a concert, and hoping that my children wouldn't see me crying because 
I wanted to see Bruce Springsteen. And he, and he came to South Africa and he was here and he played for us. <laughs> 